which brings us to the money tradition. Number seven, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. As a result of all the things that happened to me in two and a half years ago, I ended up heavily in debt in a house that I couldn't afford. And here's what I did with 25, over 25 years of sobriety. Because I thought it was important for me to keep that house, there were two months in a row where I took money that was paid to me by clients so that I could pay my suppliers and instead paid my house payment. Because I thought it was a temporary fix and that my billing would go up and I'd make more money within a couple of months. And it quickly became obvious, two things quickly became obvious. One, that wasn't true. It wasn't going to get better in a hurry. And secondly, I was being absolutely dishonest. So with over 25 years sobriety, I had to go to my suppliers and apologize and tell them that the reason I was late in paying them was because I had done this. I had made my house payment before paying them. They forgave me. I paid them, and I decided that I would stop making the house payments. I'm the one, if I can't pay my bills, that has to take the consequences, not somebody else. I'm in good stead with the people that I was working with and continue to stay in business. I finally ended up losing that house at a loss, and God moved us to a house where we're out in the country. I pay 15% of what we were paying. I've got 11 acres, a lake, and a big house. That's what I was looking for. But if I had continued holding on to that and doing it my way, not being self-supporting because I'm not using my money, I'm using their money. Because that money that comes into me, if I don't pay my bills each month promptly and on time, I'm borrowing or stealing their money to live off of. So if you're getting by by floating or conning or, or using, then that's not self-support. And that's what I was doing. Now, I had stopped the other stuff, floating credit cards and stuff, years and years ago. But I thought in this particular case, this is okay to do it. It's never okay to do it. And as a result, um, I did end up getting out of the house. But if I had continued making the payments, uh, I would have lost those suppliers and I would have gone out of business. So I would have lost the very income that allows us to live where we are now. We just read the promises that God's our employer and that, that uh, he'll provide if we're... So if I'm not self-supporting, then the area in which I need to look is back at following God's guidance. He's my employer. Why am I keep close to him, performing his work well? And it comes back to God's will. What am I doing? I give you two, less, two, two lessons that I learned from people that I worked with in sponsorship. One was a guy who was extremely talented, and he did the same thing. And I, I learned this lesson because this guy was, this was probably 18, 19 years ago. The guy had a couple of years sobriety. He had a, uh, a uh, theatrical production, which uh, he had single-handedly run, and it didn't work well for him. And all his investment money had gone down the drain, and so he, he owed now either the investors 200000 or... In his mind, what he wanted to do was go to each one of the people that he owed the $200,000 to and get them to transfer that over into a new production. It was obvious to me and a couple other people that if he did that, he'd be conning them and he'd be in worse shape. So I suggested that he go to all of them, based on what my sponsors had taught me, and that he agreed that he would pay them over a period of time and just take a job 
and he did that. Most of them forgave him. And within three years, he was paid up. The guy has 20 years sobriety now. He's a wonderful member of the fellowship. He's happily married, and he's financially solvent. And I should have learned that from him, but, but it came back to bite me. This is where we need this. I did the same thing myself two years ago. On the other hand, I sponsor a young man, or did sponsor a young man, and he never could pay his bills. He still owes uh, a group and his own some money up here. And he also had problems with his father because it was over finances, and he'd never been self-supporting with his father. And we prayed about it because it was a tough deal for him. And we prayed about how can he get back with his father on one hand, and secondly, how can he get to the position where he can start paying his bills. And Father's Day came up. And he called me and told me he wasn't going to call. I said, have you called your father? He said, no, I'm not calling him because he sent me a nasty letter uh, not long ago. I said, what did he send you the letter for? He said, well, he's just angry because I haven't paid him what I owe him. I said, well, I don't blame him. But he's your father, and your job is to honor your father. So call him and, and, and thank him for all that he's done for you. Because he made that one phone call, this is what God opened up for him. God arranged, his father was so touched by the fact that he had called and thanked him, because that wasn't the way this fellow normally handled things, that he said, look, I'm getting ready to retire. Why don't you come up here and we'll work over the next year and you can take over my business and that will give you a good substantial income and we can spend some time together. Now God had obviously, I've never seen a clearer solution to prayer than this where God had obviously said, okay, we're going to build the relationship with your father and we're going to uh, help you uh, become self-supporting at the same time and pay off all your bills. And this young man went off to this place and we talked about it before he went, that he was going to have to be disciplined and let somebody else kind of manage his money and live with two or three people until he could get his bills paid off. And he went up there, and once he got up there and got away from sponsorship, he decided he'd do it his way. And I got a phone call about a week ago where his father's now suing him. He's lost the relationship with his father, and people all over the place are looking for him because he did not practice self-support. Well, self-support comes freedom. If I don't owe anybody anything, that doesn't, whatever, whoever I owe owns me. If I don't owe anybody anything, I'm free to do whatever God asks me to do. The eighth tradition is Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. On a personal level, this is um, all about humility. It's telling me to do what I can but get help when I need it. I know when I need help with plumbing or electrical or things like that. But I don't always know otherwise. Last night I mentioned a, a guy I sponsored when Barbara and I were married for three years who fired me because of the way I was treating Barbara in public. I didn't respect her very well. I was condescending to her sometimes. I would show my anger because I was disappointed. So we had to go to outside counseling. You know, I was embarrassed about that. But when we went to counseling, we found out how to communicate with each other. And we went to somebody who was familiar with the fellowship and the 12 steps and the 12 traditions and helped us. We've been married 20 years, so it worked. 
So the, the question here is, and it's easy enough in AA, we do 12, if it's a 12-step call, we go because that's what we're good at. If it's paperwork or publishing, we have outside people that do it. But I practice the same thing in my personal life. The ninth step is AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. And the way that was explained to me is just keep it simple. It goes with our slogan. Uh, we don't need too much organization. You know, we talk about government bureaucracy that has too much organization. The Department of Agriculture uh, now employs 50 people in Washington for every farmer. Really, they do. For every one farmer, there are 50 people working in, at the Department of Agriculture. I just moved, and the toughest thing about moving was spending ten and a half hours on the phone with Southern Bell because now I have to talk to one place for DSL, one place for the home phone, and one place for the business line. And they sent uh, people from both out there. They put in two jacks, charged me $1,000, got the billing messed up, and one of the lines didn't work at all. So I've spent ten and a half hours talking with the whole bureaucracy of Bell South over that. So I see it when other people do it. Uh, but, this, but I didn't realize that I was doing I used to be real anal about planning trips. I would, I would plan a trip, and I'd have everything outlined. And I'd plan a trip, and this is after I got back with my parents, and we'd have a family trip. And the hotels and the restaurants and the sites and uh, everything that, that uh, I had, everything running on a schedule. What we ended up doing when we go on these trips, because I'd organized it and over-organized it, is everybody was always tired because we were always barely getting to things. What was the purpose? And this goes back to, the, to, to unity and to, to following my purpose. The purpose of the trip was for us to get together and fellowship and relax and enjoy each other and see a few things. I had to learn not to organize too much. Or I have to learn not to, to keep it simple, not to give people too much information. When I'm standing in line at the, the dry cleaners with four people behind me waiting to drop their clothes off, they don't want to hear how I got that stain on my pants. They just want me to give it to the guy, get out of there. Tenth tradition. Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name. I'll never be drawn into public controversy. Put it simply, everybody has an opinion, but focus on the purpose. And that gets back to what I was just talking about. The problem with my dad with politics. The problem with, uh, I'll tell you, uh, there, there's a, a, a great scene in The Right Stuff, which is another film about astronauts that was done. And it's a scene where John Glenn gets into it with the rest of the astronauts because uh, it was his opinion that they shouldn't be messing with any of the girls. And John was a faithful husband. And in truth, I do know part of that story, they almost, that almost tore them apart because there was judgment and because of the opinions they got in the middle of it. But their purpose was to form a tight group. And once they dropped that, they moved on. And you saw it in the film. But of more importance, there's a fellow named Sonny, who Al has mentioned to you guys, who helped Al and I stay sober. And Sonny got a divorce when he was 15 years sober. And everybody took sides. And everybody had opinions about who was wrong. And I cannot name anybody who did more 12-step work for Alcoholics Anonymous and helped more people get sober and helped to take more people to meetings than, than Sonny W. up in Louisville. 
And he was a wonderful, wonderful man. And from that time until now, and Sonny's got 30 years sobriety, Sonny has only occasionally gone to AA meetings. Whatever happened dramatically affected him because he was rejected by so many people who sided with his wife in that divorce. And that's where opinions get us off track. Not just as AA, but individually. The Eleventh Traditions, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And what that's saying is actions speak louder than hype. Right now, with all the spin masters, with everybody that comes out, with all of the stuff that goes on, if you turn on Fox, CNN, everything, it's nothing that even the news is hype anymore. And people don't trust. I saw something on AOL the other day where they do those little plug-in, and they'll get 200,000 people. And 80% and of the people did not feel like any of the media was credible because of all the hype. There were a group of alcoholics that all came out back in, in uh, the early 70s, and they were all celebrities, and they all claimed that they were recovered alcoholics, and the majority of them got drunk. If I'm trying to help an alcoholic, the things I have to pay attention to are the things where I walk into that singular store and start raising my voice to that woman because I'm angry about what happened to my phone. Because if people see me acting like an ass or people see me not, I don't have, I mean, this, there's no program in the world I know of where people are more forgiving. But if I'm behaving in a way that doesn't lend a newcomer to want what I have, that I'm turning him away from Alcoholics Anonymous just as much as those four people that sat in that group of Maryland that sat and did nothing but whine and tell how their pills weren't working and, and, and all of that. So my actions speak louder. And the final tradition is anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. As simply put as it can be, it's God gets the credit always. Before I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I did not know any real person that was in AA. I'd seen Days of Wine and Roses. I'd seen Lost Weekend. Lost Weekend, by the way, was written by a fellow who uh, tried AA. It didn't work, so he got drunk. And the film reflects that. J.P. Miller, who wrote uh, Days of Wine and Roses, uh, was written by a member who got sober, and it reflects that. And I saw that. And I would see these articles in the newspaper where there would be people with their faces blacked out, and they'd only give their first names. So I knew there were people out there, but I didn't have any celebrities or people to find fault with. So I wasn't thinking that those people were leaders in AA. I just knew that there was something out there that worked. But this God gets the credit thing works in everything you do. I can't think of anything that I do in my work, in my family, or any place else where it's not better for us to give the credit to God than it is to take it ourselves. And that's, that um, is really all I've got to share, but I just wanted to share a little bit different spin on it, and I want to give a challenge to people here. We have almost no meetings on traditions in the Atlanta area. When I was brought up in uh, AA in Louisville, Kentucky, this 12 and 12 was 
the book that we used along with the big book in my home group. And we, every 24 weeks, change. We do 12 steps, 12 traditions. So these have always been here, part of what I was taught, part of teaching me how to. They give me something to go back to when I can't figure out how to handle a situation at work, how to handle a situation with an employee, how to handle a situation um, in my uh, personal life. And every meeting that I go to this is a discussion meeting, I hear people talking about all the problems they've got in terms of relationships or financial or anything else, and there's nothing that I hear that wouldn't be answered by either their own personal recovery or in these traditions, and yet they don't look for them. So my challenge would be for each of you to go and support or start some kind of meeting where you at least discuss the traditions once a month, and if not, more often. Because there's more at stake to it. First of all, it opens up a whole new dimension for your sobriety because it teaches you how to get along in life. But secondly, there's more at stake. If we don't do this, then AA may not be here well into the future, and there's some new people here that may be going to meetings that are very denigrated. And I say that because if we fail, we fail from within. And all you have to do is pick up, I'm on the grapevine committee, and I go to the general service conference, and I'm going to voice this. But I picked up a grapevine recently that had a picture of a kiosk like this or a podium that had AA and NA on it at the same time. And we're talking about singleness of purpose. And I also had one article earlier, one edition earlier, there was an article in there uh, written by a woman about her spiritual experience where she had had a spiritual awakening and she's just so glad that she didn't get uh, thrown off the track by all this evangelical mumbo-jumbo and that she'd found her goddess and she found two of them at a pagan gathering and she went on to describe this pagan gathering. The best way for us to ruin this fellowship is by getting involved with agendas of trying to, and, and right now for some reason it seems to be popular to mention all kinds of religions other than Judeo-Christian in the fellowship and it's okay and we say that's okay. That's not okay. We say God of our understanding, higher power, God of my understanding, it's whatever God you pick. But if I say God of my understanding and I say and, and, and I don't describe anything else, you get the message without me confusing you and turning you away. This is as simple as working with a newcomer and you're sitting there talking about how much you support a certain team and that guy supports another team and because of that he's turned away. Whatever we do here should be to unify, to be, bring people in. And the real gift of this, just like uh, learning how, I learned how to be comfortable talking to somebody and being intimate with somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous long before I could do it out there. And I learned these traditions about our groups long before I learned how to do them in my relationships. But if you will practice them in here and carry them to meetings and get people interested in this as part of our way of life, then the blessing will be that they'll carry into all of your other areas and you'll receive the blessings. Thank you.